0: Wild Lives by Fornographic.
1: Hey, I'm Rochelle. Welcome to Wild Lives by Fornographic and welcome to Sydney. Today we're going to chat about the incredible humpbacks that we see here every year as they pass through the city on their annual migration from Antarctica to the tropics and then back again. So what is it like to see these incredible animals right here in the heart of Australia's biggest metropolis? Well, I have a couple of mates who can help explain that, so today we're chatting to naturalist guide Annie Scarrett, and also to Jonas Liebschner, who has been photographing the humpback migration right here in Sydney for nearly 11 years. Before we get started though, let's take a closer look at the migration.
0: Every year between May and November, humpback whales journey from Antarctica to Northern Australia to breed and give birth. It's a 10000 kilometer round trip along East Coast Australia, which is locally known as the Humpback Highway. It's thought that around 30,000 humpbacks will migrate this year, which is great news, seeing as commercial whaling had almost wiped out the species. In fact, the number of humpback whales on Australia's East Coast had plummeted to just a couple of hundred animals by the time we stopped hunting them in 1963. Since then, the population has bounced back, and today, Sydney Sydneysiders enjoy a steady stream of humpbacks passing by the city. There are several places close to the CBD where you can see them, including at North and South Head, Cape Solander, and along various cliffs, beaches, and bluffs along the coast. And sometimes, the whales sneak into the harbour itself, with some even being photographed right in front of the Opera House in recent years. Whether you're on the shore or on a boat, you can spot a humpback by looking for its blows or any of the other behaviours that cause splashing, such as pectoral fin slapping, peduncle rolling or tail lobbing. Or, of course, breaching, because when a 40-ton animal jumps out of the water, it can be seen for miles around.
1: First up, I'd like to introduce you to Annie Scarrett. Annie's been whale-watching in Sydney for nearly 20 years and she's worked as both a naturalist on whale-watching cruises as well as a spotter. She's travelled all over the world to see whales too, including Antarctica, Tonga, Harvey Bay, Canada and the Great Barrier Reef, and of course right here in Sydney. Hey Annie, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be with you, Michelle. Awesome. Now, you've been whale-watching for a long time, but do you remember the very first time you saw a humpback here in Sydney?
2: Look, you know, I don't think I do remember it. It was quite a while ago, probably, I reckon, in the 1990s. And the reason that I don't particularly remember it is that I'm pretty sure I would have seen a whale, a humpback whale, passing Sydney and not even known that it was a whale because we didn't really have whales coming past Sydney much before that. And so there wasn't really any awareness about it. And so it took a while uh, before before all of a sudden people started sort of realising that there were a lot of whales out there. And so... What I would do is uh, I had a job in the city and before work I would go for my very early morning run and I'd be sort of running along the coast and see these spouts out at sea and go, oh, gosh, it's a whale. Mm. And it's just, it was mind-blowing because I hadn't seen it before, but I can't tell you exactly when that was, but I reckon the 1990s.
1: So you've been watching them since the 90s and... During that time, you must have seen a stack of different behaviours. What would you say are the most exciting ones to watch?
2: Oh, gee, there's a a few, Rochelle. Look, the thing that's on every brochure for every whale-watching cruise, of course, is the breach where the whale jumps out of the water. It's spectacular. It's unexpected. A big splash makes a noise. Everyone loves that, and so do I, of course. But my absolutely favourite thing, my most favourite thing, is what we call mugging. Hmm. Uh, and it's a funny name, like you sort of think what there's going on here, uh, but what a mugging is, is that when we're watching, this is on a boat, we're watching the whales, but these humpback whales are really quite curious and sometimes so much so that they will actually come over to the boat of their own volition and and they want to check us out. So all of a sudden it changes from us whale watching it all of a sudden it becomes a, a two-way interaction. We've got two mammals here, like we're mammals, they're mammals, but oh, very different ones. But they're actually as curious about us as we are about them. And they'll, sometimes they'll circle the boat, they'll go round and round and round in circles. <laughs> There's been many a time where we actually haven't been able to leave because once they're that close to the boat, we put everything in neutral, of course, so we can't do any damage to them. And they just stick around. And it's just wonderful. Uh, and at times, you'll actually even see their eyes. Their features are different to ours. Their eyes are on the side of their head, not, not on the f- looking forward like we do. Uh, and their neck's much stiffer. It doesn't bend like ours. But they'll come along the side of the boat and to have a look at us, they'll turn over on their side <laughs> and you see this eye looking at you. <laughs> it's just the most amazing. <laughs> and it's just, uh, I'll never, ever get tired of that.
1: What's a spy hop? Is that part of mugging?
2: Yes, well that's another part of a mugging. They can look at you in different ways. Right, They've got this eyesight where they can see us and they're attracted to movement. So the way I've described it, they can either turn on their side and look at us or they can um, do what we call a spy hop. And this is where they use their tail fluid to propel themselves up vertically. So. Their head comes up out of the water Mm. and and it can come up a very long way. I've been on a small boat where it's way high. The head, just (laughs) the head of the whale, is way higher than the boat that I'm on. And again, they have the eye looking at us. So it's another way where they can actually check us out. I mean, it just turns everything on its head. They're looking at us as Mm. much as we're looking at them.
1: So we know that when they go past Sydney, they're actually on a migration. When they're travelling, do they do that in a family group?
2: Uh, generally not. There is an exception to that. No, you'll see often see what we call pods. So sometimes there'll be a solo whale, but more commonly there'll be two or three, something like that. And the thing is that they're just very temporary groupings of the whales, these humpbacks. They're not brothers and sisters or best friends or husband and wife or anything like that in the whale world. They're actually just random whales that are getting together, traveling together, might be just for half an hour, it might be for a day, but it's certainly not for any period of time. Uh, There is the exception though, which are the mothers and the calves. And the mother will mate with a male. She'll never see him again. He certainly doesn't get to see his calf or anything like that. Mm. Uh, So he has the mating event, he's gone, trying to mate with everyone else. And she will then be pregnant for a year almost. She'll give birth up in the warm waters up in Queensland. And then that calf will stay with her for a whole cycle back to Antarctica where they'll do the feeding and then back up to the north Queensland waters again and generally they'll start to say goodbye to each other on that that journey. So, Mm -hmm. yes, when we see a mother with a calf, we know that's a family group, but they're the only ones, yeah. So it's really very different to our sort of social arrangements and different to some of the other whales too who do have social families.
1: Mm, Especially orcas, I think they have like pods where they'll just stay together as one big family, really. That's the resident pod.
2: Yeah, the toothed whales are quite different. um, Mm. So the the humpbacks don't have teeth, so they're in that that grouping, the baleen Mm. whales, and they tend to be sort of more the loners, whereas the toothed whales tend to have the family groups.
1: How, in the years since you grew up, how have whales changed in that time that you've noticed?
2: Oh, the numbers? Well... Mm. Um, just as starkly as you could imagine. Uh, So I, well, whaling was banned here in the early 1960s. I was born just before that, and I've lived on this part of the coast, just in the northern parts of Sydney all my life. And, like, it's not just when I was a child, but well into my adulthood, probably at least half of my life, whales just didn't factor into the equation of Sydney because they just, well, the numbers, quite frankly, were so low that... He just didn't know about them. Mm. Uh, so it's estimated now that back at the time when whaling was banned, there were only about two or three hundred left, like all in this whole population. So it was, you know, I think it was beyond rare at that stage that anyone might even see them. Mm. Um, so they came from a very, very low base of numbers. And it's taken a very long time for that to really start picking up. But, but boy, it sure has in the last few years. Because they're actually increasing at the rate of about 10% per annum. So you can imagine, it's like compound interest. Yeah. Um, 10% on 10% on 10% every year, uh, all of a sudden starts building up very quickly. And before we spoke, I actually dug out my old speaking notes from when I was doing some commentary on the whales back in it was only in two thousand twelve, so six seasons ago mm. I was saying to people then, and it was accurate, it was estimated that our East Australian population was twelve to fourteen thousand. So that's wow. remarkable that back then they'd already increased to that level. But since then, in this last six years, they've more than doubled to about thirty thousand it's estimated now. And Of that 30,000, so when 10,000 calves are going to be born up in Queensland very soon, as they come past, we'll have 33,000 whales coming past us south because we'll have the mothers with the calves born at that stage. So they're just booming, the numbers. And every year they'll go up until they get to a point where there's not enough food or whatever, there might be some natural curbs on that population, but it's certainly been going up at 10% for many, many years now. So it's a, well, I just think you don't get to hear many good news stories in the environmental world, Mm. but this is one. This is just a remarkable story.
1: Absolutely agree. So you mentioned just a moment ago that you have worked as a naturalist and a guide, but you also work as a spotter where you go on a boat or stand on a cliff and you watch ...for the whales and then you're able to report where they are. Yes. Can you tell us what you actually look for when you're spotting a whale? Sure. Um, and it doesn't really matter whether you're on the
2: shore or on a boat. It's pretty much the same. Uh, and people, everyone says, oh, is there a spotter plane up there looking for the whales? And it's like, no, actually there's not. We do it the old-fashioned way, but it's the most effective way... ...which is looking for the blow of the whale. So what that is is that these humpbacks are mammals like us. They breathe air... They have massive lungs and they exhale that air under incredible pressure. And it comes, when it comes to the surface, it's very hot, the air in their lungs, comes up to the surface and it's winter when they're coming by us, uh, so it's cool. And so that hot air turns into water vapour and it looks like a a spray of steam or or smoke, a little puff of smoke. And... Depending on the size of the whale, it, these spouts are quite large, they're a couple of metres high, and particularly when the weather's kind, if it's not too windy, they'll sit there, in the mm. just sitting there in the air for, for a few seconds. But that's what we look for. They'll come up to the surface and breathe, just like we have to if we're in a swimming pool, you can hold your breath underwater for a while, but... Eventually you have to come up to breed. Mm. So do they. So they'll always come up and spend a period of time up on the surface. Then they'll go and have their downtime where they're under the surface and we don't see them. Typically that's five to ten minutes. Mm. But the, the time, of course, that we're really enjoying is the time when they're up on the surface. So we look for those spouts. If we're really lucky, they might do something on the surface. They might splash their tail or their pectoral fin. They might even jump out of the water mm-hmm. and do what we call a breach. And any of those sort of activities, when they do them, because these whales are huge, create big splashes. So often in the distance you'll see a white flash. And there's nothing there, then there's a flash, then there's nothing. And I think sometimes people look, try to look for whales and they're actually looking for the whale itself. But really what we're looking for is more evidence of the whale, a clue that the whale's mm-hmm. there. So it might be the blow, it might be the distant splash... If you're on a boat, occasionally they'll actually sneak up real close behind you or something and you'll actually hear them before you see them. You'll hear the blow and you'll hear this Mm -hmm. and you know immediately where they are. Uh, But really the blows are the the go in terms of finding them. And what I do in terms of technique, I find scanning the area in front of you the best way to do it, particularly if you're on the coast. The higher you can be, the better. So up on a cliff, something like that, not too low. Uh, That means you can see further into the distance and... You're looking for something that's different it's just not there then it's there then it's not there check that it's not a boat <laughs> check that it's not a wave crashing on like a headland or something but then if it's not it's probably a
1: whale should you be looking all the way out to the horizon or somewhere a little closer
2: yeah probably closer sometimes people use binoculars but i find it's better to do a scan yet yeah, more in that middle sort of range uh, and if you scan, what actually happens the way your eyes work, your peripheral vision will pick up the movement and then once you've got a hint and sort of, oh, what was that, then focus in on it and that's where you get to see the detail and that's when binoculars are really useful. Mm-hmm. I think binoculars, I wouldn't do them as a first port of call because you're looking at such a small area at any one time, you're likely to miss a blow somewhere else. Yeah, so I do a good good scan and I just keep moving my, my head a bit like one of those laughing clowns in the uh, amusement park. But that's how it feels sometimes. And um, just constantly moving and looking and just it'll just catch you out of the corner of your eye usually.
1: Mm. Now, so you've obviously seen a stack of humpbacks, but you've also had a pretty incredible experience with southern right whales. Do you want to tell us about that?
2: Oh, yeah. look, I love the southern rights. Um, you know, we have this massive humpback population passing us, but it's a very different story with the southern rights. There's like well under 100 that come up mm. our way, so they're very much a rarity. And um, their numbers have been recovering, but but pretty slowly. Nothing like the humpbacks.
1: Why were they? Why was the number low? The,
2: the southern right numbers were low, like the humpbacks, because they'd been hunted almost to extinction by whalers. And, in fact, the reason that their name is the right, the right part, northern rights in the northern hemisphere, but southern rights here, is because they were the right whale to kill. They floated, they had really good oil, and they were very, they're very docile, and um, they'll be tend to be in very shallow water. They're very easy, I suppose, just to sneak up on and harpoon. So the numbers are very low, and they certainly have not recovered like the humpbacks. But, to my good fortune, this was a few years ago now, Uh, I'm a kayaker and I was kayaking in Sydney Harbour uh, near Middlehead and there was a National Parks boat there with the light flashing which of course got my attention and I went over in that area and sure enough there was a southern right whale there mm. with its calf, mm. so this is very rare and very special, and these whales are huge, they're not that much longer than the humpbacks, but they're much rounder, and they're really very enormous, and she was she was travelling towards Balmoral, if, if you're in Sydney, you'll know the pavilion at Balmoral, she was heading sort of down that way, heading west, and then, and I just stopped, I was watching and just in awe, then she did this big arc And she actually completely changed her direction and came around and checked me out and, like, was really very close to my kayak. I'm pretty sure I didn't breathe for about a minute. I was just just amazed. And the very best part about it was she actually had the calf on my side. Like, if she was worried about me or feeling threatened or something, uh, she would have had the calf on the other side. But she had the calf on my side, so she was actually bringing it over. And they checked me out. (laughs) And it was just... um, something you can never plan something like that and uh,
1: it's just wonderful absolutely extraordinary thank you so much for your time today annie looking forward to seeing you back out there on the boat soon enough in the meantime though if you'd like to stay abreast of annie's awesome photography and whale sightings check out her facebook page at annie's whale watching and
2: like it
0: Wild lives by Fornographic.
1: Now, if you've ever opened a Sydney newspaper and marvelled at an incredible photo of a whale breaching, you can pretty much guarantee that Jonas Liebschner took the photo. He's been shooting the migration for Whale Watching Sydney for over 10 years and he recently released his very first book called Whales of Sydney. Hey Jonas, thanks for joining us. So you recently put together your first book and during that process you had to pull together 70,000 photos, go through those and then decide what you wanted to include. must be pretty hard to pick a few favorite shots but you did tell us about that
3: oh it's very very hard to do that as you said there's about 70,000 photos to choose from and they're just the photos that actually ended up on my computer I would have taken I don't know 200,000 photos or so in the 10 years that I've been doing it choosing the the favorite ones very hard to do because There's a bit of a difference between what I personally like and what I think would be good to be in the book. (sighs) So there's obviously a few shots with wild in front of the opera house, nice sunsets, big breaches in front of the city skyline, just nice lights where where everything is sort of technically perfect. So I ended up choosing about 200-odd photos, Mm -hmm. and they're, they're in the book now, yeah.
1: Awesome. Last year, you actually took a photo that I've never stopped envying, and it was of two whales breaching at the very same time. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened that day?
3: Sure. That was actually only the second day of the season uh, last year. They were the very first humpbacks we've seen, and we just got extremely lucky, I guess. We had them breaching a little bit before that, and I was basically ready for it, and they just came out at the same time, and I just snapped away, and I had the best sort of a double breach, that's what it's called, when two whales jump out um, on after 10 years, only on the second day of the season.
1: Do you know why they do that?
3: Nobody really knows exactly why they breach. Uh, certainly not a double breach anyway. Mm. There's plenty of theories why they might be doing it, but nobody knows exactly why, why they jump out. Sort of the most likely one, I guess, is for them to communicate with each other. If you can imagine a 50-odd tonne whale, Splashing down into the water, that sound travels very, very far. And sometimes we see a whale that is jumping next to the boat, and all of a sudden another one starts jumping that we didn't even know about. I don't know, maybe two miles away. So, probably communicating with each other. Uh, we also think that they might be doing it to get rid of parasites that grow on their bodies, barnacles, for example. I got a good photo a couple of years ago where you can actually see after the breach a big splash with one barnacle flying through Mm -hmm. the air. So there's proof that that's one of the reasons. There is also another one is that they might be just looking at us, some of the photos that I've taken, you can see them having their eyes open. So many, many theories why they might be jumping. No one knows exactly why they're doing it. And I'm sure all the theories that we do have are probably true in some way. But in any given moment, any given breach, who knows Mm -hmm. why they're doing it. But it's certainly amazing to watch.
1: It definitely is, especially when you get amazing photos, as you do. Throughout your career in Sydney, you've seen a few other species around, haven't you, including a blue whale?
3: Twice, actually. I've seen them twice. Uh, Humpbacks are obviously sort of the ones we see every single day. Um, We see them from mid-May to the end of November for about six months, Mm -hmm. and then they would be accounting for, I guess, 99% of all the whale sightings we get off Sydney. Number two, I'd say, would be minky wilds. Uh, they're kind of similar to the humpbacks in, a, in the sense that they're also migrating up and down the coast, but they're just a lot less visible in Sydney. So we may be going past minkies almost every day, mm. but the humpbacks are just sort of the star attraction, I guess, because mm. they're most, mostly uh, jumping around, splashing around, doing all the stuff we want them to do. And minkies are on the quiet side. Mm. So we don't, if we ever come across one, we usually leave it pretty quickly because they're not quite as exciting as the, as the humpback whales are. Um, we also get southern right whales. They are usually in August we see a couple of those. They, they can be pretty cool. They can also jump out of the water but oh. mostly they're just sort of floating around. It's not too much fun. Uh, they're actually very close to the coast so in August when we're watching humpbacks we'd be maybe one to two miles out to the sea and we would probably miss most of the southern rights unless they're jumping around. And oh. then you might get them if you're at the beach. You might have a southern ride, I think. Two years, three years ago, there was a surf or a couple of surfers, but one of them got a little bit too close, and I think he had his arm broken uh, by a southern ride, just getting a little bit too close to one in Bondi Beach.
1: Yeah.
3: So, yeah, southern rides. What else do we see? Blue whales, as you said. We've seen them, again, I've been doing this for 10 years, and I've seen two blue whales, so it's not something you should expect when you come whale watching, but you never know. Uh, They're certainly out there, and uh, we've seen them twice in 10 years. I think it's been a couple of years now. I think three years ago and maybe five, six years ago, you've seen some blue whales. Pretty amazing, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they are as big as our boats. They can be up to 30 meters long, 200-ton in weight, so pretty incredible to get close to a blue whale.
1: And what about dolphins?
3: Everyone. Everyone loves dolphins, especially you, (laughs) Uh,
1: Rochelle.
3: We get them. Fairly regularly. Um, I would say almost 50% of all the trips but sometimes you have them on every trip for a week or two then you don't see them for a month and then you see them again. So it's, it's a bit random but uh, there is certainly a few dolphins off the coast. And they are different to the humpbacks which are migrating so you only get to see them for six months. Mm-hmm. The dolphins would be there all year round and so usually there's common dolphins and bottlenose dolphins. Mm-hmm. They're sort of the two main species that we get off the coast of Sydney.
1: You also mentioned birds a few minutes ago. What about those? What are the highlights?
3: Birds. There's a lot of seabirds of Sydney. So if you, if you like the seabirds, you can certainly come out and have a good time. Uh, even if you're not too interested in the wilds, we usually get uh, quite a few different albatross species. So the black brows are your main ones, uh, yellow-nosed. Occasionally you see royal or wandering albatross, which have an incredibly big wingspan of about four metres. amazing I'm, you've seen it yourself mm. but if you don't know about uh, the gannets they're really really good at flying quite high and looking for fish and then once they've seen something they shoot down like an arrow straight into the water there's some pretty cool mm. uh, video of that actually you am sure you'll find it on YouTube I think it was a David Attenborough thing and yeah they hit the water at, I don't know 100 kilometers an hour like literally looking like a, an arrow and they can out swim fish underwater and then you see them jumping out of the water somewhere else and I <laughs> guess that's sort of the priority for me so I, I stopped taking photos of birds but <laughs> if you like birds yourself then uh, can come out and uh, see them on pretty much every trip as there's always a
1: few of them around mm. Now last year you also I mean you've seen Migaloo a few times but last year you saw him at sunset just south of the city what's so special about this guy?
3: He's white and all the other whales are not <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> One of the only ones I was totally white, um, humpback whales, the ones we get in the Southern Hemisphere, they're usually sort of black and have a white belly and their pectoral fins, like the very large fins on their sides, which are about a third of their body length, so about five meters. Fully grown, they're about 15 meters long. Uh, they're usually black on top and white underneath, but Migaloo, he's um, one of the very first, or the first all white uh, humpback whale that was ever seen by now. There's about three, I think there is, at Mm. least, uh, that are known to people. But Migala was the first one. I don't know the exact year. I think it was 91, 87 or something, that he was seen off Byron Bay for the first time. Mm. So he's fairly old by now, but uh, a a guy, a male whale. Uh, Some people have taken some uh, DNA of him, and he's proven to be a male. And yeah, he's totally wild. Interestingly enough, he's not um, an albino whale. Mm it's called hypopigmented so he's just basically very white and so he's the superstar of the wild mm. world um, I mean what are your chances of seeing an all white wild if there's one out of now 30,000 wilds that are going up and down the coast so it's quite quite special mm. to have seen him twice as you said last year we had him uh, pretty randomly um, I think he was seen he was on his way south so just to say something about that usually the wilds are going north. Uh, that's what we call the northern migration, going from the Antarctic to somewhere close to the equator. So that's the northern migration from sort of mid-May to mid-August, and all the whales are swimming south again from mid-August to the end of November. So last year, um, when was it? I think in September, and he was seen off the Gold Coast a few days earlier. And humpbacks tend to be fairly sort of average in their their speed that they're swimming. So once he's been seen a certain Uh, distance away from Sydney at a certain time, then we can roughly guess when he should come past Sydney. So we had our window of when we thought he might be coming past, and um, it turned out to to be our lucky day that day, and we were watching some other whales of Bondi, I think it was, and I just happened to see a splash way in the distance, like no way of telling if it was Nigalu or not, but we sort of expected him to be around So we thought, oh well, let's just have a look at that. It might just be him, maybe not, but uh, you never know. So we went there, and we we saw it splash again in the distance. Like still too far to tell that it's him. And we roughly stopped where we thought the whale is going to be. And he ended up having a very long downtime. Mm. Downtime is when the whales are underwater; they're air breathing, like you and I. They're mammals, so they have to come up. And on average, they do that for about five minutes. But this one in the end so he was down for about 10 minutes so a little bit longer to wait so we just stopped where we thought the whale was going to be didn't know it was him and then he popped up a couple of hundred meters from us and he was white and everyone thought oh my god it's him <laughs> and it's it's an interesting one because in the moment you can't really or i certainly didn't really have any emotions i sort of went into work mode if you will like mm-hmm. my job is to take the photos so i didn't want to blow it so I was just very focused, making sure that I'm not distracted by anyone. I gave my phone to one of the deckhands and I told him, call Channel 7, Channel 9, all <laughs> the newspapers, everyone needs to know. And uh, if he would have jumped out, which he didn't in the end, unfortunately, uh, yeah, if I would have missed that, I think I would have just jumped in the water <laughs> and never returned to shore <laughs> again. So yeah, I'm very focused, but in the end, Again, as you said, we ended up having a bit of impromptu sunset cruise with him. Uh, I was on our big boat. We have two boats, one sort of quite large, 30-meter catamaran that usually does uh, fast ferry services after the wild watching, so they can't just stay out for another hour or two. Mm. But we have our little smaller boats called Totally Wilds, only 27 seats, sort of a high-speed runabout wild watching boat, and they could stay out longer so I actually jumped from one boat to the other in the <laughs> middle of the ocean just to stay in there until the sun goes down and it was just literally too dark for photos and we cruised down the coast with him he was very relaxed uh, he couldn't really care less about us being there and um, yeah he didn't jump out I guess third time lucky I've seen mm. him twice now so when I see him next time hopefully I will then uh, I get him jumping out but yeah once in a lifetime twice in a lifetime twice for me in a so lifetime far. yeah
1: Super lucky.
3: You, you got close yourself? I did not.
1: Day. <laughs> <laughs> Just for people Sorry. listening. <laughs> after after <laughs> Jonas had found Migaloo in the afternoon, um, I saw him the following day and we kind of worked out that he might be in Marimbula, which is down on the New South Wales south coast. And we've got some friends who run a whale business down there as well. So another mate of mine and I, we did a massive road trip to try to stalk him down there but unfortunately we weren't successful but you know yeah. you got, got to be in it to win it don't you
3: six hour one-way drive right so you spend <laughs> yeah. 12 hours in a car to <laughs> hopefully see a white wow you're clearly addicted to whale wow
1: watching <laughs> you certainly wouldn't definitely. be seeing him on my couch yeah. though so you know you have no, to give it a go
3: <laughs> maybe this year's the year
1: i reckon it is i got a good feeling
3: just How to long? just to um about that second sighting or the first sighting we had of him again this last year was him going south
1: mm.
3: and the first one was in 2014 and he was going north and again he was uh, sighted down south forgot the spot but a couple of days earlier so this is away so again we sort of did the math of when we might be able to see him and i was actually uh, up on the cliff at sunrise looking out the sea, hopefully trying to spot him. We had the little speedboat on standby, uh, picking me up from Watson's Bay or Rose Bay or somewhere to get out there as quickly as we can. Uh, The owner of the company, he he lives in Cronulla, he was down there on the cliffs, sunrise. So we we tried our very best to spot him and it wasn't until the afternoon at sort of three o'clock that he was seen, that he was spotted. We were watching some other whales at the time and once we got the word, hey, we've got Nigulu, We again, we watching some other whales roughly off their heads, I think it was. And he was spotted at Cape Salander, which is basically where the airport is, if you're not too familiar with the area. So a fair distance away from where we were. So we obviously went flat out uh, as fast as the boat could go down there to to hopefully try and see him. And never before have I gone past so many whales, because it was <laughs> in late June. Late June, so peak of the season when there's literally hundreds of whales off the coast in a day. Mm. And, up oh, there's a jumping whale. Is it white? No. Forget <laughs> it. Let's keep going. Oh, there's a tail throw, but no, not white. Let's keep going. And then we got into eventually. And, um, yeah, he was going north. He was, back then, part of a competition pod. If so you don't know what that is, it's mainly male whales competing for the female's attention, like who gets to mate with a female, and it's very sort of testosterone, high-energy whales charging around, and he was Mikulu was part of that, and he was zigging and zagging a lot. Now, with Migaloo, there's actually an exclusion zone back in 2014. It wasn't quite as far away from him. So we tried to keep our distance, but he was zigging and zagging so much that he actually popped up, like literally right next to the boat. Oh. It was pretty incredible at the time, like I don't know, 10 meters away. Wow. And he's pretty big, so that was quite an experience back then mm. to have seen him. And yeah, then twice uh, last year as well.
1: Third time this year, I reckon.
3: I hope so. Mm.
1: Now, for photos, you usually use a DSLR. Is it important to have a manual camera, do you think, or can you get by with something a little bit more basic?
2: Well, speaking of manual,
3: I have obviously a very good camera, but I never put it in manual because depending on which direction you take the photo, the settings will be completely different. (sighs) So I think the main thing about having a good camera or the best camera that you possibly can have is that it, it can take a photo with a very quick shutter speed, because if a whale jumps out, you obviously want to freeze the action, you don't want to have it blurred. Mm. So as long as your camera can take a very quick photo, like um, to get a bit technical on you, shutter speed sort of faster than a thousandth of a second. Mm. As long as you can put your camera to sports mode, I guess it's called, with most of the cameras, then you should be fine having a bit of a zoom obviously helps as well uh, usually the rules of whale watching dictate that we're 100 meters away uh, from the whale so if you have an iphone or whatever with or a samsung phone whatever it might be then that might just be a little bit too far away because most of the phones have uh, kind of like a whitish angle yeah. camera on there so as, lo- as, lo- as long as you have a bit of zoom on your camera and you can put it into sport mode then you should be able to take a half decent photo but the most important thing is just to be ready at all times. Like you, everyone on the boat thinks my job is easy, but it literally involves me just staring into one direction for two hours, and hoping that a wild jumps out, which most of the time it doesn't. So every time you want to quickly go to the toilet or get a coffee or a biscuit or whatever, uh, I eat way too many biscuits on the boat. But um, when you do that, the whales seem to have a sense for when you're not ready, and that's exactly when they jump out. So if your memory card is full and you have to change your memory card, that's when it's going to jump out. <laughs> if you look the other way, that's when it's going to jump out. So just got to be ready all the time, and then uh, hopefully you get some half decent photos of one.
1: Awesome. Well, in the meantime, we can always check out your book for some incredible photos and I'll be putting the link direct to purchase on my website. Yeah, thank you very much for your tips, Jonas. Awesome.
3: Thank you. You're
1: welcome. And that's a wrap on this episode of Wild Lives by Pornographic. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope to see you out whale watching here in Sydney soon. In the meantime, if you'd like to see Jonas's incredible pics or if you'd like to check out his book, head to his website, www.whalesofsydney.com or mine, pornographic.com, where I'll post all the info. Catch you next time.
0: Wild Lives by Pornographic. Follow us on Omni.fm or search for Wild Lives by Pornographic on iTunes. Subscribe today and you'll never miss an episode.